thank you guys for leading us so well. The name of Jesus is what brings us together, not the name of our church, not the name of any single person, but because of Jesus, thanks Bianca, because of Jesus, because of who he is, what he has done on our behalf, because he is the king who is worthy, the king who reigns forever, and because of his goodness, because he's drawn us to himself. And so, so thankful that you guys are here today. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm so thankful for Josiah, who's here today, and Daryl, who will be in the, in the next service for you guys preaching the last couple of weeks. Um, it was a joy, yeah. It was a joy to be able to learn from you guys, uh, to be able to sit under your teaching, and so, so grateful uh, for you guys serving that way, uh, and very grateful for the fact to be back here today um, and to be, to be opening God's Word with you guys today. Today, we're actually going to talk about one of my favorite songs. Um, it's a 3,000-year-old song, a 3,000-year-old hymn from the book of Psalms. And, and one of the reasons this is one of my favorites is it's a very personal song to me because it's really been a song that has carried me through some really difficult times over the past couple of years. Because this song reminds us, like we just sang about, of the goodness of God. I found that in the midst of despair, this psalm has been a voice of hope to me. In the midst of darkness, this psalm, Psalm 103 that we're going to be looking at today, uh, has been a beacon of light. This coming Thursday, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And for some of us, it's going to look different than it's looked in years past. Maybe you've got loved ones who you won't be able to see because of travel restrictions. Maybe you've got uh, certain Thanksgiving tra uh, traditions that you like, like maybe the Thanksgiving Day Parade or something like that, that uh, is going to look different this year because there's not going to be any crowds. Maybe it goes even deeper than that. Maybe this is your first Thanksgiving after the loss of a loved one. Or maybe this is your first Thanksgiving after your marriage fell apart. And for some of us, the holidays are truly the most wonderful time of the year. But for some of us, if we're honest, the holidays can be the most painful time of the year. And so whatever Thursday looks like for you, here's the thing I want us to see in our passage today. No matter what is going on in the world around us, no matter what we are walking through in our lives, God is still worthy of our thanks. He is still worthy of our praise because he still loves us and he is still for us and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever and he is still good. And so whatever it looks like for you this, this Thursday, between the parades and the football and the family time, the tryptophan-induced comas, um, whatever that looks like for you, my prayer is that not only this week but throughout every week of our lives, we learn to remember and to rejoice in the goodness of God. Because learning to rejoice in the goodness of God is what will carry us through the good times and especially the hard times of life. So let's read the psalm together. Psalm 103. King David writes these words. He says, bless, or probably a better translation is praise. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. 
The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, I got to be honest with you about this passage. Um, There are some passages that I am almost afraid to preach. Because they are so beautiful and they are so awe-inspiring that I don't want to mess it up. Uh, But I'm going to do my best here this morning to walk through this psalm with us. This psalm is a song. It was a hymn that was written by King David. It's a hymn that's been used in worship by the Christian church and and by the people of Israel before that for the past 3,000 years. And, And David writes this psalm to remind himself and to remind God's people of the goodness of God. He's calling himself to praise the Lord. Because if we're honest, that's not always natural to us. Sometimes we don't feel like praising God. That's why he starts the way that he starts. Look at Psalm 103, verse 1. He says, bless the Lord, who? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. He is preaching to his own heart. He is calling himself to praise the Lord. Because if we're going to endure years like 2020 with strength and joy, if we're going to keep pressing on in the midst of anxiety or sickness or depression or financial hardships or the loss of loved ones or anything else that life throws our ways, then friends, one of the most vital skills that we need to learn is we need to learn how to talk to ourselves. We need to learn how to call ourselves to praise. We need to learn how to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Because our default mode is not to praise the Lord. Our default mode is to take him for granted. In fact, if you read Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that ingratitude, that a refusal to give thanks is at the root of all sin, that it's at the root of all idolatry. Romans 1 verse 21, for although they, that's just us, that's human beings in general, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or what? Or give thanks to them. And then he goes on to say how because we didn't give thanks to God, we became futile in our thinking and our minds were darkened. And then eventually we took the gifts of God and we put them in the place of God and we worshiped the gift instead of the giver. That's what sin is. That's our default mode as human beings. We take the blessings of God, but we refuse to thank God. 
We receive the gifts of God, but we refuse to honor God. And then we turn around and we make the gifts the ultimate thing and we worship the creature rather than the creator. We begin by refusing to thank God and eventually we just forget them altogether. Because when it really comes down to it, we want to be our own gods. And it all starts with ungratefulness. It all starts with taking God for granted. It all starts with this sense of entitlement where we think we deserve the good things of life. And we say, what's the problem with God that God hasn't given me all these things on my wish list? And we refuse to recognize that anything good we have is a gift from God. That's why David's talking to himself here in Psalm 103. Because even when he doesn't feel like praising the Lord, he knows that he needs to praise the Lord. Friends, let me just say this. Do not wait. Do not wait to praise God until you feel like it. We've got to learn to talk to ourselves. We've got to learn to call our souls to praise. And notice where David is praising the Lord here. Look again, verse 1. Bless the Lord where, O my soul, and where all that is within me, bless his holy name. He says, I don't just want to praise God outwardly. I don't want to just praise God with my words. I want to praise him with my innermost being. Don't you want that? Like, I hunger for that. I am so tired of my divided heart and my lukewarm, apathetic heart that sometimes praises God and sometimes doesn't and is so half-hearted. I want to praise him with all that's within me. The word soul here is the Hebrew word nephesh. It, it literally means the throat. It means your entire life. Everything you have and everything you are, every breath is for praising God. Every breath we breathe in is a gift of God's grace, and every breath we breathe out should be a testimony of God's praise. All that is within me, he says, not just my words, not just my outward actions, not just what I do here on Sunday, not just the persona that I try to put on when I come to church, all that is within me, praise his holy name. As most of you guys know, Tracy and I have three young kids, and uh, one of the primary things we're trying to teach our kids right now is how to say thank you. Like at least 7,000 times a day, the words come out of my mouth, what do you say? And of course, then follows the obligatory thank you. And that's important. It's important to learn to express gratitude, but gratitude isn't just the words that we say. We all know there's a difference between a perfunctory thank you and true heartfelt gratitude. As a kid, on Christmas morning, you say thank you when you get the pair of socks because you're supposed to. But there's a whole different thank you when you open the PS5 or the Red Rider BB gun, depending on your generation. One of those thank yous, one of those thank yous feels perfunctory. You say it simply because it's good manners. The other comes from the depths of your soul. And that's what David's saying here. He says, I want to praise God from the depths of my soul. All that is within me, praise his holy name. So how do we do that? How do we be, learn to become people who praise God with all that's within us? Well, look again at verse 2. Bless the Lord, or praise the Lord, O my soul, and what? And forget not all his benefits. We praise God by remembering. We praise God by not forgetting his benefits. We praise God by intentionally fixing our hearts and our minds on what God has done for us. Look what he does. Look at verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Such a great and good God, but we forget. We forget his 
forgiveness and his healing and his rescuing and his mercy and his steadfast love and the ways that he pours out his goodness on us. So how do we learn to remember? How do we learn to train ourselves to remember the goodness of God? And I'm just going to give you a a few things that the people of God throughout history have done to remember the goodness of God, to keep themselves from forgetting the goodness of God. The first thing, and and frankly, the foundational thing, is Scripture. Scripture, to soak ourselves in Scripture, to read the Scriptures, to, to, to study the Scriptures, to be absolutely saturated with the Scriptures. Because in God's Word is where He reminds us that He loves us, that He is with us, that He is for us, that He will never leave us or forsake us. Listen, when you read the Bible, the point is not just to get new information. The point is to praise the Lord. The point is to let the scriptures remind you of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in such a way that it moves your heart to worship. The goal of studying the Bible is not simply to know the truth. The goal of studying the Bible is to get the truth down into the core of your being and pray it hot in the presence of God. And the scriptures are the kindling that the Holy Spirit uses to set your soul on fire in worship. So we've got to soak ourselves in the scriptures. Second thing is corporate worship. Worshiping, what we're doing today, worshiping together with the people of God. We need to worship together with other believers. And I hope if there is one thing this pandemic has taught us, it's how much we need each other. Because when we gather together, we are reminding each other of the faithfulness of God. Even as some of us are watching online right now, we're hungering to be together. Because when we sing here together on Sundays, we're not just singing to God. We're singing to our own souls, and we're singing to one another's souls. We're reminding each other of the faithfulness of God. Like David and the people of Israel 3,000 years ago, when they first sang this song, we're reminding each other of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And I just want to encourage you, don't let that just be a Sunday thing. We should work in what I'm calling rhythms of remembrance. We should work in rhythms of remembrance throughout the week and throughout the day and throughout the year. That's actually what the holidays are supposed to be. You know that? Like holiday literally means holy day. They were holy days that were set apart to remind us of the faithfulness of God. And you don't have to wait for the government or the church to recognize a holiday. I want to encourage you to recognize rhythms of remembrance in your own life. Days or times that you set aside to remember the faithfulness of God. So that could be an anniversary. That could be a birthday. It might be a time on the clock. It might be an alarm that you set in your phone. It might be a date on the calendar where you remember what God has done for you. Remember some prayer that he has answered. Remember how he has pulled your life up out of the pit. If you read the Old Testament, uh, the people of God would always be setting up monuments made out of stones. They would use these monuments as ways to remind themselves and to remind future generations of the faithfulness of God. So you would literally be walking alongside the road and you'd be walking with your kids and they'd say, hey, pops, what's the deal with these stones right here? And then you'd tell them, this reminds us that the Lord has been faithful to us. And then you would tell them the story. You would tell them how God delivered his people, how he's been faithful, how he has stuck with us, how he has cared about us through the generations. That's actually what David does throughout the rest of this psalm here. 
He reminds the people of the faithfulness of God. And he uses four metaphors, four pictures, four descriptions to remind us to praise God with everything in us. First thing he tells us is that the Lord is our righteous judge. A righteous judge. Look at verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now, as modern Westerners, we don't really like the idea of God being the judge. Like Right now, you might not think that's a good thing until you consider the alternative. David says the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. See, without the righteous judge, all we're left with is injustice and unrighteousness. Without a God who seeks justice for the oppressed, all you're left with is a world in which might makes right. Where, where the rich oppress the poor, where the strong take advantage of the weak. This is one of the ways, historically speaking, that the Hebrew scriptures revolutionized the ancient world. If you study most ancient civilizations, you find that the poor and the weak basically had no rights. The rich, the powerful could do anything they wanted to them, and the poor would have no recourse. There was no one to seek justice for the oppressed. And we know that's a problem. We know this should be a world of justice. We all want justice. We all have some idea of what's right and what's wrong and why it's wrong and how it can be made right. But the problem is that all throughout human history, you see that injustice always finds new ways of oppressing the weak. It's like playing whack-a-mole where you think you knock out injustice over here and it pops up over here and then you go over here and you try to knock it out and it pops up over there. And that doesn't mean we should give up on seeking justice. The scriptures actually command us to be people who seek justice. But we also recognize that all of our efforts are limited, that we will never be able to fully establish justice, and that's why we need the justice of God. Because if this messed up world is ever going to be made right, then we need the God who's the righteous judge. But there's a problem. Because if we are honest with ourselves, then we will realize that that same impulse of injustice, that same desire to have our way at the expense of other people lives inside every single one of us. And so if God comes only to judge, then he's coming to judge us. And so we don't just need the righteous righteous judge. We need the merciful redeemer. The merciful redeemer. Look at verse seven. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Now this section is filled with language from the book of Exodus. Actually, David quotes Exodus here in verse eight. He says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And what's really interesting here is that David is almost quoting verbatim Exodus chapter 34. Almost. Look what he says in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a, merciful and gra- a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, do you see the difference there? If you're a Jew hearing this song that David has published, that he's calling us to to sing in our corporate worship gathering, if you're hearing this in 1008 BC for the very first time, you expect that David's going to quote Psalm 34, 7. You expect that he's going to talk about how God's going to judge the guilty. But he actually doesn't do that. 
In fact, he goes the exact opposite direction. Instead of saying, God's coming to judge you, look what he says, verse 9. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So how is that possible? How can we move in Exodus 34 from God will punish the guilty to God doesn't deal with us according to our sins? How can the righteous judge also be the merciful redeemer? Look at verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. He says God's love is steadfast. God's love is constant. God's love will not be stopped. It will not be derailed by anything, including your sin. He will not let it be said that our sin is greater than his grace. He will not let it be said that our iniquity is greater than his mercy. We may have forgotten God, but God has not forgotten us. Something interesting going on here. If you're reading this, you're singing this as an ancient Jew, you're asking yourself this question, how can God acquit the guilty? How can the righteous judge also be the merciful redeemer? And there's a sense in which you don't actually get that answer for another thousand years. You don't get that answer until A.D. 30 at a hill called the Place of the Skull outside the gates of Jerusalem. Because that's where you see divine judgment poured out. And you see the righteous judge standing there. But instead of judging us, he's judged for us. Instead of condemning us, He's condemned for us. Listen, that's the only way that God can uphold justice and not condemn us in the process. Because Jesus was condemned for us so that we could be righteous in him. The reason God does not deal with us according to our sins is because he dealt with Jesus according to our sins. And now if you are trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection to make you right with God, then verse 12 is true for you. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. I'm no geography expert, but I think that's a really long way. I think that's about as far as you can get. The prophet Micah says that he buries them in the depths of the sea. He removes all of our sin. He forgives all of our sin. As far as the east is from the west. And it actually doesn't stop there. Forgiveness is really good news, but it gets even better because God doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just declare us not guilty. He loves us. That he's not just the merciful redeemer. He's our compassionate father. Compassionate father. Look at, look at verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God doesn't just love us in some detached legal sense. God is not just a judge who bangs the gavel and says not guilty and then walks back to his chambers and we never see him again. He's a father who comes and welcomes us into his family. And like a good father, he loves us from the gut. That's what the word compassion literally means in the Bible. It's literally the word for the guts. God feels his love for us in the core of his being. Do you have categories for that, that God feels love for you in his gut? When my kids were born, I was completely unprepared for how much I'd feel my love for them. 
Like, I was like one of those guys, I'm like, okay, like, I'll love my kids because I'm supposed to. But like the moment Owen was born, it was like my kids had me wrapped around their finger. And like, I, it was like I almost didn't have a choice in how much I loved them. Sometimes I feel like my heart is going to explode because of how much I love them. And I'm a selfish jerk, okay? But if I love my kids and I feel that way toward my kids, as sinful and as selfish as I am, imagine how the perfect, loving father feels toward you and toward me and toward all of his children. He loves us from the heart. He loves us from the gut, And his compassion is not dependent on how good or how wise or how strong we are. Look at verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He is so patient with his children. He knows our weakness. He knows how messed up we are. And he loves us anyway. A couple weeks ago, I I hit a low point. I was, was really struggling. I, I felt like this. I felt like dust. Thankfully, Josiah was preaching that week. Thank you, Josiah. Uh, and, and I don't think it was any one thing. It was the cumulative effect of a bunch of things going on in the world and some things going on in my own soul. And, and I was exhausted. I was physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. It's like I had a baseball bat taken to my knees and I'm on the ground and I was shaken by how weak I was. And I, and I hate that. I hate feeling weak. I want to always be strong. In fact, I've probably spent my entire life trying to be strong. I want to be strong physically. I want to be strong emotionally. I want to be strong mentally. I want to be strong spiritually. And that is not a bad thing. But sometimes we work so hard to be strong that we forget how weak we really are. We forget that we are dust. And I was just hit with my weakness. And I actually drove out to Point Gratiot. It was one of those gorgeous 75-degree days that we had a couple of weeks ago. And I'm I'm sitting there looking over the beach, and and I see the dust and the sand on the ground. This verse just jumped into my head. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I was just honest with God. God, I, I... I feel like dust. I feel weak. I'm messed up. I feel like dust right now. But here's the thing. God already knew that. He knows that we were dust. He, he was there when we were created. He remembers when he took dust and he formed it together and he breathed into Adam the breath of life. He remembers that we are dust. We're the ones who forget. I still remember the moment each of my kids was born. And I remember holding them for the first time. And I remember how helpless they were. I remember how I didn't sleep for months after that because of how helpless they were. And God says, I remember that about you. I remember that you're helpless. I know your weakness. And I love you anyway. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Even when you feel like dust. Even when you feel like you're falling apart especially when you feel like dust, especially when you feel like you're falling apart. As a parent, if your kid is struggling, like I don't love them any less because of that. If they're sick, I don't stop loving them. I want to be near them. I want to hug them. I want to comfort them. I want to take care of them. That's what your heavenly father is like with you. He is not repulsed by your struggles. He does not run away from your sickness. He does not turn his back on you in your need. He runs to you. 
His heart is drawn to your weakness like a moth to the flame. And he is not just compassionate on us in our weakness. He is compassionate on us. This will blow your mind. The holy God is compassionate on us in our sin. If your child is sick, you feel compassion for them. And sin is the worst sickness that there is. So when your father sees you in sin, his heart is drawn to you. His heart aches for you. He doesn't stop loving you. He doesn't turn his back on you. His heart breaks for you, and he wants you to come home. And listen, wherever you are today, wherever you've been, as bad as it's gotten externally or as bad as it's gotten in your own soul, you don't have to keep running from him. You don't have to keep hiding from him. And you also don't have to try to clean yourself up and get your act together and come back to him. He just says, just stop running. Just stop running from me and come home to your father who loves you. He's our compassionate father. Final thing we see here is that he's our eternal king. Our eternal king, look at verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. He starts off talking about how transitory we are as human beings. Because the fact is, friends, we will trust in something. You will place your hope in something. And so the question is, will you place your hope in mere human beings? Will you place your hope in man who's like a flower of the field that fades? Or will you put your trust in the eternal king and his everlasting love? Every kingdom that we try to build as human beings eventually falls apart. Everything we try to build is temporary. If there is one thing 2020 has taught us, it's how fragile we are. The things that we took for granted, the things that we thought were stable can fall apart in an instant. A microscopic virus can bring 7 billion people and a global economy to a grinding halt. Nations are temporary. Empires are temporary. Economies are temporary. Our bank accounts are temporary. Our relationships are temporary. Our health is temporary. We are like dandelions that sprout up and then are blown away by the wind. And if you're building your hope on anything other than the eternal king, your hope will disintegrate when those things are gone. But... But, verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. That's what you can build your hope on. That's the one thing you can take to the bank when everyone else has abandoned you. When everything else has fallen apart, when every other hope has disintegrated, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the eternal king who loves us with a steadfast, everlasting, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that's why we praise him. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Lord is the eternal king. And everything in all creation, 
Everything in heaven and on earth, every star, every galaxy, every mountain, every tree, every blue whale, every subatomic particle, every angel, everything in all creation was made to praise the Lord. So when we praise him, we're simply doing what we were created to do. We are singing our part in the choir of creation. So let's praise him. Let's praise him from the core of our being. Let's praise him for being our righteous judge. Let's praise him for being our merciful redeemer. Let's praise him for being our compassionate father. Let's praise him for being our eternal king. I'm going to pray here in just a minute, and then the band's going to come back up, and and we're going to sing. And listen, when we sing, let's not just sing with words. Let's praise him with all that is within us. Let's praise him from the depths of our being. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Father, we want to praise you. You are worthy of our praise. These reminders of your goodness and your faithfulness are what sustain us in the darkest of times. And so we want to praise you. Would you help us to praise you with all that's within us? We've experienced your goodness, and I pray that with every breath you give us that we would sing of the goodness of God. God, like the old hymn says, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of endless praise. So would you tune our hearts, God, to sing your praise. God, I pray that all throughout this week. I pray that we would be reminded this week and every week of the goodness of God. That we would not forget all your benefits. That we would learn to remember and to rejoice in who you are. Father, I pray as people this week, many of us in this room, Thanksgiving's going to look different for us. And it could be because of things going on in our world with restrictions. It could also just be because of life and the hard times of life. And so I pray that in the midst of that, not that we would deny the brokenness or the pain, but in the midst of it, that we would be reminded of your goodness and your love and your faithfulness. Help us to praise you now with everything that is in us. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, praise his holy name. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm going to send you out with a benediction, uh, a blessing for the road, um, asking God to pour out his goodness on you guys. So this comes from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace be with you.